Welcome back to another episode of Employment Law Problems, where I, your host, Brett Hollebeck, talk about some of the most pressing labor and employment law issues facing businesses, managers, human resource professionals, and pretty much anybody in the workplace today. And in this episode, I will be talking about a tough topic, severance agreements. There's been a lot of talk in the media and in the news about company layoffs. LinkedIn even has its own layoff tracker right now. For those of you who may be familiar with LinkedIn and go on the website frequently. And it's something that's unfortunately going to become a more important issue as more talk about the economy continues. So in this episode, I'll be talking about what things you should have in a severance agreement. What should a severance agreement look like? What's the purpose of a severance agreement? And as a reminder, nothing in this podcast is legal advice, but I hope you learn something from this podcast. And if you do, I ask you to like and subscribe to the podcast for future episodes. Welcome back. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we're going to be talking about severance agreements. And for those of you that may be familiar with the Apple show, Severance, this has absolutely nothing to do with that, but I 100% recommend you watch uh Severance, it's you know a great a great show, not related to the law or any kind of any kind of legal issue or people leaving a company, but just an awesome show that just happens to share the name of this episode. So in this episode, as I mentioned, we're talking about severance agreements, and specifically, we're talking about what kind of items should be included in a severance agreement. What is the purpose of a severance agreement? Why you may be needing a severance agreement? And of course, unfortunately, this all, as I said in the beginning, circles around layoffs. We saw this a couple of years ago with COVID. In the midst of COVID, there were a number of layoffs. At the time I wrote an article on my blog about this particular topic back a couple of years ago, there was something like 32% of chief financial officers you know, in May 2020 that believed that there was going to be more job cuts. Well, I think the numbers are even higher right now. I think some of the numbers from different surveys have said as high as 50%. I can't remember if it's CEOs, CFOs, um, are expecting more layoffs at their company. Unfortunately, this is not something that should be coming as a surprise. We're seeing, a, as mentioned, a list on LinkedIn of company layoffs every day. It's one of the top articles from LinkedIn talking about the various companies that have laid off people. We're hearing more and more news internationally. Uh, those of you may be following the issue in China right now, there's millions upon millions of people that are no longer paying their mortgages because basically it was a, uh, more for, for lack of a better term, a giant Ponzi scheme where these construction companies would be prepaid to build buildings that they never finished and would use later payments that they received to finish the buildings that they had, that had already been paid for so it's it's broken down. I believe China's trying to inject some money into the economy to try to rescue that. It is about a third of China's GDP. So on an international level, you know, if that if that explodes, if that doesn't go well, we're looking at major major problems economically. We still have the war in Ukraine going on, which of course is affecting a lot of the global supply chain. It's affecting food prices, fertilizer, we have, of course, other issues on the home front as well. We've now had two quarters, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, which most people, I would say, 
uh, previously said would be a recession. Of course, recessions from the agency that determines whether or not we're in a recession is always backward looking and it's always uh, a little bit behind. So it's going to take some time for that to catch up for them to actually declare recession, assuming that they decide to do that. I believe there's only been one one period with like two two quarters of negative growth that has not been a recession within the last 50 years or so. And of course, there was the COVID recession, which was a really interesting recession as well. To break it all down, we are in the midst of a crisis of sorts, an economic crisis. And for businesses, what does this mean? What does this have to do with businesses? Why why does economics matter? Why does this issue matter for all the various people, not just the business owners, of course, but the employees as well? And of course, it matters because unfortunately, many companies are going to have to make a tough decision. Many companies are going to be engaging in layoffs. And when you engage in layoffs, something that a lot of companies do, even if it's just a single person, is to offer a severance. So the purpose of a severance, it does a couple of things. So there are many reasons why companies want to offer a severance. One of the reasons is to limit their legal liability. You know, I'm an attorney, so that is obviously something we always consider when deciding whether or not to have a severance agreement is what kind of liability there may be for this employee if you if you don't seek a severance agreement. I, th- I think, honestly, more importantly, many companies want to offer severance because they feel that it is the right thing to do. And it is a way to off-board employees in a respectful manner to treat them the way that you would want to be treated if you were being terminated, if you're being laid off, and to potentially, if things turn around at the company or if people's paths cross again in the future, to keep that door open to them rejoin the company at a later time. And, you know, that happened in the pandemic. There were companies who had, you know, this really weird circumstance where basically everything shut down. So some of them basically offered a sort of severance to employees. That was a way to retain those employees for a certain period of time until they could hopefully reopen the business. Others, you know, told those employees to file for unemployment, but that as soon as it opened up again, they were going to be rehired. So there's a lot of reasons to have a severance agreement. And it's something that can be useful for not only the business, but also the employee. And it's not simply a way to limit legal liability for various claims. Obviously, that's an important reason. And that's some reason that many companies do wish to have a severance agreement because those claims can be very expensive. And the cost of offering a severance is often less than the potential claims that could arise. And really, I don't want to sound so cynical, but when I say potential claims that could arise, I don't mean that that claim is a good claim necessarily. I don't mean that someone's going to file a claim, that that claim means that their allegations have merit. But just even fighting a lawsuit can be very, very expensive because you oftentimes need an attorney to do so. And that costs a sizable chunk of change oftentimes. So severance is a way to reduce your liability and to protect your company. And with that, let's let's talk about some of the components of a severance agreement. What should you include in a severance agreement? I just want to remind you, nothing in here, again, is legal advice. If you want to draft a severance agreement, if you're looking to draft a severance agreement, I strongly recommend you speak to an attorney because they're going to be able to guide you with the requirements for your state. They're going to be able to tell you 
or areas of risk. They're going to be able to tell you what things you need to have in your particular agreement. And they're going to be able to help you with other issues that may be related, such as, you know, a mass layoff, like under the WARN Act or something similar. But with that, here are some items that you should consider including in any sort of severance agreement. And the very first item is a waiver of liability, a waiver of liability. So I just went through that whole spiel about not being the main purpose of the agreement, only one of the purposes of the agreement. And here I'm you know, presenting it as the very first thing to consider. And that because it is such an integral part of the agreement. And if you just have a severance agreement without a waiver of liability, that company's not doing all they can to protect themselves. So you want to waive certain claims that you can waive in a severance agreement. You want the employee to waive their maybe Title VII claims, Americans with Disabilities Act claims, Equal Pay Act claims, you know, the Veterans Reemployment Rights Act, ERISA claims, Age Discrimination Employment Act. And we're going to talk about that one in more detail because there are some specific requirements that are incredibly important. You know, there are some claims that you can't waive. You cannot waive future claims. Uh, there may be issues with waiving workers' compensation claims and potentially certain claims under the National Labor Relations Act. But usually, you're going to include this kind of waiver. And you're not going to include any admission that the company did anything wrong. You're just going to waive these claims. And you may also include admission that the employee doesn't have any other claims that may not be able to be waived. The second provision that you often want to include in a severance agreement is a company returning company property uh, policy or provision. You want them to understand that they have to return company property or maybe they won't get their severance. They won't be paid until they do. And you're still going to get that back. So what kind of company property and why is this something else that's really critical when you're offboarding employees? Employees may have a lot of trade secret information. They may have passwords. They may have files. They may have computers and hard drives and flash drives and other information from the from the work site. And you want all that back. You don't want somebody to take your files and then go, you know, sell them to a competitor or use them with a competitor to misappropriate your trade secret information. So this is another reason, a critical reason why many employers consider having a severance agreement. Confidentiality provisions. Most people want to keep the terms of a severance agreement confidential. And so oftentimes you will include a confidentiality provision providing that the employer and the employee signing the agreement won't reveal information about each other, certain information, whether it's about the agreement itself, the reasons that the employee may be leaving the company, and it really offers protection to both parties. It can be a mutual kind of confidentiality agreement where both parties are given some sort of protection. And the next issue that is also mutual is a non-disparagement provision. Oftentimes, the companies and employees will seek a provision prohibiting the other party from discussing problems or issues with them about them with other people. It's you know another beneficial thing for both parties, and it often will prohibit employees and employers as well from talking to the media, writing social media posts, engaging in any other communication that's negative about the other party. Medical benefits is a key one for many employees. They want to know, am I going to have insurance next month? You know, I've been laid off. Is my insurance going to continue? Many employers will pay 
for an employee's COBRA benefits for a certain period of time while the employee is leaving the company, while they're, while they're gone. So they might give, you know, a couple months, two, three months of medical benefits as well. And that can be huge to these employees that are leaving the company. Now, I said that there was an, I want to talk again in a little more detail about the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. And specifically, I want to talk about certain requirements under the Older Worker Benefits Protection Act, which modified the ADEA. And it, of course, protects workers that are 40 years old and older. And there's some specific requirements on severance agreements under Older Worker Benefit Protections Act. Sorry, Benefits Protection Act. Number one, the agreement has to be in writing. You'd think this would be common sense, but your agreement should always be in writing. Handshake deals don't go well in the courts. We had a handshake deal, Your Honor. He agreed to waive all his employment law claims, and I gave him $10,000, which was six months salary, five months salary, four months salary, or whatever it might be, and that's not going to fly in court. And honestly, it, it again, I, I, those numbers are just made up numbers, but, you know, it would probably be substantial bit more than that. Um, you know, if it's six months, obviously you might be looking at more 20 or 30 or $40,000. And that's not atypical. A lot of times people will do, you know, one, two months, three months, but it's not unheard of to have something higher than that, to have a six month severance agreement if there's a specific reason to do so. And one of those reasons is often that you don't want the employee to maybe take another job in that time. And so you put them on what's called kind of a garden leave where they may receive a severance payment every week, every other week, um, provided that they don't have another job. And that's something that some employers want to do because they don't want them to use their trade secrets. They don't want the employee that's left to use their trade secrets. And maybe in six months, those trade secrets will be a bit stale but that's a reason. And that's kind of a tangent, but um, something, again, to think about and consider when you're drafting an employment agreement. So I said it must be in writing. Can't have a handshake deal. The agreement has to be drafted in plain language so that the employee signing the agreement can understand it. You don't want it to be, if it looks like something out of a Shakespearean play, you have a problem. If you have thee and thou and, you know, a bunch of language that Somebody that is just a non-lawyer can understand. It needs to be in plain language. It should not be misleading. Any advantages or disadvantages should be adequately described. Basically, be straightforward. Don't be confusing. You don't want to make something that is hard for somebody to understand. It's not an attorney. Just because they can get an attorney to review a severance agreement doesn't mean they actually will. The waiver, and this is a critical part of this Older Worker Benefits Protection Act, the waiver must specifically waive rights under the ADEA and Older Workers Benefits Protection Act. You have to specifically say that. It cannot waive future claims. And again, that's an important part for some of the other claims as well, like the National Labor Relations Act claims. You can't waive future claims you may have against a company. Now, what kind of future claims could you have against a company? It, it depends. Maybe you leave the company and then you come back. Well, you can't waive the claims that you would have in that case. Maybe you have some kind of other claim under the National Labor Relations Act that, you know, is 
a future claim that's something that you didn't have before, or you file you know a claim against them because anybody can file a claim under the National Labor Relations Act, provided that um, basically have sufficient information to do so. You don't have to be an employee. The agreement must be backed by consideration. The employer is to give something of value in exchange for the agreement. That's the money that you're giving them. The employees has to have 21 days to consider the severance offer or 45 days if more than one employee is laid off as part of a group layoff. You can't just give them no time to review the agreement. They have to have time to review the agreement and to consider it. When the layoff is for a group of employees, then the individuals must be informed in writing of the group of individuals that will be laid off the eligibility factors for exit programs, i.e., early retirement, voluntary retirement, the job titles and ages of all employees that are eligible to participate in the layoff or as those that are laid off involuntarily, the ages of all employees in the same job class as the person laid off that were not eligible for voluntary layoff or were not selected for the layoff. Very important. Employees also have seven days to revoke a severance agreement after signing. You cannot waive that time to revoke. So, <laughs> this happens. This this does something that happens where people don't understand the law, and then they make a mistake. Employee signs a severance agreement, returns it to the company immediately. Then they go and talk to an attorney. So they sign the severance agreement the same day that they let go. They go and talk to attorney a day later or two days later, and then they send they send a, an email saying that they were withdrawn the severance agreement. But by that time, within that first day or two, the company's already paid the severance. Good luck getting that back. You will get it back, probably, but it's going to take some time to do so. Employees should be advised in writing to consult a lawyer before signing the agreement. That is one of the most important things as well. And again, this applies to anybody that's over 40. It's the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act, which modified the Age Discrimination Employment Act. And that, of course, protects anybody 40 and older. And it's important to note that employers are strictly liable when they fail to follow this requirement. You either followed it or you didn't follow it, and you're liable. Waiver of future employment, a severance agreement, may need to address whether an employee will be able to join the company in the future. Again, there may be times when you want employees to join the future. There may be times when you do not want an employee to join the future. COVID was a great example. A lot of people gave some kind of severance during COVID, why they had to shut the company down, and they didn't want to obviously include a waiver in future employment in the agreement because they wanted those people back. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you have an employee that you do not want them to return to the company for whatever reason, and so you have a waiver of future employment. Oftentimes, you will address letters of recommendation within a severance agreement. Are you going to provide letters of recommendation? Will you not provide letters of recommendation? Why or why not? What will happen? For employees that are terminated with cause or due to some dispute with the company, the provision usually states that the employer will give a letter confirming the dates of employment and job title with other details. Dispute resolution. How will disputes about this agreement be resolved? Will they be resolved through arbitration or some other method? Tax issues. Employees in these agreements are usually required to accept and bear all the tax consequences of payment. Some payments may not be treated as wages, and the employer is not 
able to withhold income taxes for the employee for those payments. Unemployment. Employers often agree not to contest unemployment. It can oftentimes be beneficial to do that, even when they're being terminated for cause, to discourage the employee from filing a claim against the company. Something to consider, not something you're going to do in every case. Paying out vacation. You should consider whether to pay out employees' vacation. If you have a policy that requires you to pay out vacation, then you're going to follow the policy. If you don't have a policy or you're not required to in your state, you need to make a determination. Governing law and venue. What will the law that will govern the agreement be? Usually you're going to pick the state where the employer is headquartered. But sometimes you want to pick the state where the employee works. It's going to depend. So if you have an employee that, for example, is in Texas, but the company is based out of Louisiana, maybe you want to choose Louisiana. Maybe you want to choose Texas. But the venue and the state, federal court, arbitration, association, those are all important decisions that you want to put in writing so that you can understand exactly what you should expect to happen if you get a lawsuit. A no admission of liability provision. You do not want to admit liability. So you include a provision saying that the company does not admit any liability for anything that happened. Severability provisions. Agreement should include a provision stating that the provisions within the agreement may not be removed from the agreement. Sorry, may be removed from the agreement or not enforced if they're unlawful or impermissible. If you have a section of the agreement that is unlawful, the whole agreement is not busted. You still have the rest of the agreement. Oftentimes, at least here in Texas, many times certain provisions may be blue penciled. Um, not so much in, a, in the context of a severance agreement, but you know they may interpret things in a way to make them make sense or to limit them in a way that makes them enforceable. That's something that happens in some jurisdictions. A liquidated damages provision. You may want a provision that describes what happens if there is a violation of the agreement. If an employee maybe informs other employees, informs a competitor about confidential information of the company, can you recover part of the severance? How does that going to work? What are you going to do? If the employee disparages the company online, what's your recourse? Maybe you want to have a recourse within your severance agreement entire agreement clause. There should be agreement saying that this, what's written down is the whole agreement. In other words, there's no handshake deal. There's no verbal agreement that is going to somehow end up in court to be talked about to determine what actually the parties agreed to. What did they actually agree to? And finally, you usually want a statement of legal competence, which basically states that the person signing the agreement is of sound mind and understands what they're signing. They are not confused. They're not unable in some way to you know, sign the agreement. But you, you have a statement in there saying that they're of sound mind. Now, I don't know if that would hold up or be a slam dunk in court. I suspect not. But it's a step in the right direction. So with that, those are the provisions that you want to consider within a severance agreement. There are a number of other issues that are also related to severance agreements and firing employees 
but these are some things that you definitely want to consider whenever you are drafting a severance agreement, whenever you are determining whether or not to fire an employee. And it's something that is critical because many employers make a lot of mistakes when they try to terminate employees. And this is just a simple way that you can limit your liability potentially by having something formal, having some kind of agreement in place that can often provide protection to the company. And again, I just want to remind you, if you are seeking to have a severance agreement, you should speak with an attorney. They're the ones that are experts in the field, and they're the ones that can help you determine what to include within a severance agreement. And with that, we're going to move on to the last part of this episode. And that concludes another episode of Employment Law Problems, where I, your host, Brett Hollebeck, talk about some of the most pressing labor and employment law issues facing your businesses, facing human resource professionals today. And I really hope you learned something from this episode. I hope you learned a little bit more about severance agreements. I hope I hope you never have to use one, um, but that's unlikely. That's unlikely. If you have employees, at some point you may need a severance agreement. So again, I strongly encourage you to seek help from an attorney in drafting those severance agreements. And with that, I will catch you in the next episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed the podcast, I ask you again to please like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast provider of choice. And with that, we'll catch you in the next episode.